Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. In a few minutes, we're going to be joined by former Giants special teamer and wide receiver, two-time Super Bowl champ Dominic Hickson. He'll help us make sense of the new kickoff rules and talk about the impact that it will have on the upcoming season. So stay tuned for that. OTAs continuing to move along, Paul. There's going to be another OTA session next week where the media will have an opportunity to chat Mm -hmm. with some of the players. But thus far, we've seen a number of players get some opportunities while some of the notable names are sidelined or have missed an OTA here or there. And, you know, I I don't know how much you can take away from OTAs. We've talked a lot about this. But the other day, it was really a defensive clinic, whereas other days we've seen the offense click. So it, it seems to have gone really back and forth day to day here. Yeah, today was uh, OTA number six. And the last one that I saw, I was not available here to see number five. I was close to the media. But OTA session number four was actually a good day for the uh, passing game. Yeah. The receivers, the quarterbacks, all were terrific. I understand that have been some other OTA days where the defensive backs have actually done better. Um, Great. You know, you spread the wealth. (laughs) You know, let everybody have their share of good (laughs) days. Why not? Um, Here's what I would say. It is incredibly difficult when you're talking about no-contact OTAs to determine much about your front seven on defense other than the athleticism and the reaction time of those guys to the snap. That's certainly something you could tell. You could tell some of the coverages that the DBs and the linebackers are even executing. That That's a pretty good thing, too. Offensively, uh, you could tell if the running backs are picking up the blitz pickup assignments because even though they're not following through and hitting guys – Hey, he saw that guy, he recognized it, and he did step into the spot where he was supposed to go. Obviously, the routes and and, and their chemistry with the quarterbacks, there are some things, limited things, you can get a sense of, but ultimately, folks, until they really get to training camp, there's not a lot you can really sink your teeth into. The coaches can because they know exactly what's supposed to be happening on the field. Those of us who are on the sideline, there are certain things we can't possibly know, and therefore we can't truly give a, a substantial grade on anything. I think it's natural that when you look at this time period of the offseason, usually the quarterbacks and the defensive backs, Paul, tend to stand out more so than other positions, mainly because, first of all, the quarterback's comfortable for the most part. Yeah. He's not going to have to deal with the blitz, and he should be able to make the necessary throws without any contact. And then the reason why I say the defensive backs, Paul, is because they're usually a little bit more active because they can make plays on the ball as opposed to defensive linemen and linebackers who are not going to be able to run over running backs and offensive linemen. So that's at least my biggest takeaway. You know, which defensive back has been opportunistic? Which defensive back has been able to identify the correct routes or has been able to at least position himself to make a play? That, I think, at least is notable. Well, and the other thing you can tell about those guys are their ball skills. How do they play the ball? You know, and do they have hands? Or do they have soft hands when they catch the ball? Do they have concrete? You know, you could tell that. Anyway. Well, speaking of hands, I think we're joined by a guy that made a name for himself with his ability to make plays with oh, his hands. Oh, yeah, he could bring it in. Indeed. And that is former Giants wide receiver and kick returner, two-time Super Bowl champ, was with the Giants from 2007 to 2012. We've had him on the program previously. He's kind enough to give us a few minutes again. That is Dominic Hickson. Dominic, you got Lance Meadow and Paul Dettino with you here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate the time. How's everything? Oh, everything is great. How you guys doing? Hicks, it's raining up here. What's it like in Florida? You got the fishing boat out yet, or you you, you preparing for that uh, spring session with your high school team? Uh, we just finished spring and just got off the boat. So <laughs> it's, it's about 90, to 90 degrees down here. <laughs> well, it's in the 60s up here in Jersey, so uh, enjoy the sun while you have it. Uh, obviously, we really wanted to talk to you after all the great accomplishments that you did with the Giants Special Teams Unit. Again, not to at all separate your wide receiving accomplishments here because God knows you did a great job for the Giants as a receiver. But with the new kickoff return rules that the NFL has proposed over the course of the last couple of months and now the ones they were going to enact for this season, we really wanted to get some of your thoughts. You're on both ends. You're on the coverage units. You're also on the return units. 
we wanted to get some of your thoughts as to your initial reaction to some of the new rules and which ones you think will have a bigger impact or smaller impact on the game. Yeah, you know, it's one of those deals where I feel like we're going to get to a point here in a year or two where they're just going to eliminate the kickoff and kickoff return. And, uh, you know, as, as many teams know that, uh, you know, when you return a kickoff for a touchdown or, you know, a, a fumble on a play or, you know, this, that's a big momentum changer. And I feel like in a few years we're not even going to have a kickoff or kickoff return teams anymore. How does that make you feel as a player who had a tremendous amount of success on the kickoff units to understand that, hey, you know what, in the name of safety, which I think we all obviously prioritize, that the, the kickoff may go away? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those deals where, you know, there's some guys that aren't going to be able to have a job because of that. You know, I I mean, I stayed in the the NFL for a few more years just, you know, being able to do special teams. And so now you're taking that dynamic away. And I think you'll see the shift where, you know, instead of having, you know, four or five receivers there, you may only need, you know, three or four on some teams. Or instead of keeping, you know, four tight ends, you may only keep, you know, two or three because that one tight end or receiver, even defensive back, he was going to be that special teams player on kickoff and kickoff return for you. Well, and I think that's a key part of the discussion because I'm in agreement with you, Dominic. There are guys that have made names for themselves, including yourself, whose M.O. is, hey, they're a key special team contributor, and that's a big reason why they're going to hammer out a place on the 53. In terms of some of these new rules, Dominic, I think the two most notable changes are no running starts before the kickoff for the kickoff team and no more wedge blocks for the return team. When you hear these rule changes, you've been on both sides. Who does this favor? Does this favor the return team in your mind? Does this favor the coverage team? Uh, I, I would think it favors the return team. And the only reason being, because uh, now you can't have a run and start at all, so uh, you're going to have to kind of close the gap a lot faster. Uh, back way back when, uh, you know, in 07 and, you know, 08, when, when you could run full speed and then you didn't have to be within those five yards, I mean, you could get up on a guy really quick before he even turned around. And so now he's going to have an opportunity to turn around to square you up uh, and, you know, and be able to make more of a consistent block. So I think you're going to see a lot more uh, big returns this year and a lot more returns for touchdowns just because now uh, they have a better chance of setting up, even though, they, you know, you can't wedge block. Dominic, let me ask you this. Um, if it's going to be better for the returners, do you think there'll be more kickoff returns as opposed to the last several years where the coaches have told the kickers, just put it through the end zone, give us a touchback. They tried to reduce the number of kickoff returns, thinking that that would be the safest way to go. But is this going to have the opposite effect? Well, you know, I, I still think that, you know, the kickers are worth their weight in gold. If they can kick it through the end zone, uh, I think it's even more valuable now because I do think the return teams have an advantage. And so now, you know, uh, you know, Graham Gano down there in Carolina, when he kicks the ball through the end zone and, you know, and you got the guys, you know, just have to kind of kind of go through the motions, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a big key to field position, like I said, and then the return team not having that advantage anymore. Well, and Dominic, you turned to the fact that, you know, it's a big momentum swing type of play. And with that being said, Absolutely. I think the, the NFL right now is in a position where they're trying to find the balance between not eliminating those game-changing type of plays, but at the same time making it safe. You know, what's your perspective? And you were involved in obviously that notable play when you were a member of the Broncos and the Bills and Kevin Everett. You know, how dangerous of a play in your mind is the kickoff return? You know, I just think special teams in general. And um, and the reason I say that, on offense and defense, you kind of have an idea of where guys are going to go. But on special teams, you know, it's control chaos. And, you know, just because the ball's kicked to the left doesn't mean the guy's going to run to the left. And, you know, and vice versa. And so it's one of those deals where, you know, it's control chaos. So everyone's kind of running around. But I feel like special teams, from a safety standpoint, is you know I don't have any stats to back it up, but I think it's the most uh, problematic area where guys get injured uh, because, like I said, you don't know where the ball is going, and you know a lot of times it's not you know cut and dry, you know as it is on offensive defense. Well, let me ask you this, then, Dominic, as someone who appreciates the value 
of having it in the game, but also understands the safety measures that the league would like to take. If you were able to sit down with Commissioner Roger Goodell, if I could get him on this phone right now and say, Dominic, I know, I know, but what would be your suggestions to try to find a middle ground somewhere? Because it does sound like you'd like to keep it in the game. Absolutely. I mean, if you, if you if you completely take it out, now you're, you know, to me, you're the integrity of football and how everything, you know, they used to play. And, you know, if they take it out, I think that's a huge mistake. But it is a great thing that they are trying something. And so they're, they're not just twiddling their thumbs and, uh, you know, kind of just talking about it, but they're actually taking action about it. And, I mean, I think, it, I think there's going to be a point in time if you could create, if you could uh, actually make kickoffs from maybe the 20-yard line to kind of guarantee a return, a guaranteed play, uh, you know, not having the guys have a run and start, I think that's a great idea. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, everyone keeps getting bigger and faster, you know, bigger and faster. So it's one of those deals where you're trying to be, you know, prevent injuries, but at the same time, I mean, you got yeah, some, you know, D linemen running four, four fours, four fives. I mean, you know, again, that's unheard of. That's like the new OCM Mayura. Uh, you know, coming in the NFL. <laughs> I got I to gotta put myself for a second in, 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 a, in a reporter's shoes, Dominic. Tell me what it's like when you're back there waiting for that kickoff to come down to you. I mean, I, I think we've all talked about this for so many years and so many months now, and now we're, we're getting the rules changes. Can you explain to somebody what it's like to be in your shoes? You're standing back there near the goal line. The ball gets kicked off. You've got this big field in front of you. You've got thousands of pounds of beef coming at you at full force. <laughs> Ball's flying in the air. Take me through from the moment that you're standing back there waiting for the kick. Go through a play. Tell me what you're thinking. I'm what like, are you seeing? Yeah, you're getting my blood pumping. i got to walk around now and talk to you. Uh, I mean, it's one of those deals where it's, it's an adrenaline rush. It's like you're about to, you know, you're at the tip of the roller coaster. You know, when the ball's kicked, and as soon as you catch it, you know, it's kind of like that drop happens. You know, and it's a full tilt, you know, full full speed play for as long as you can handle it. And, um, I mean, it's, and like I said, you're running as fast as you can to them, and they're running as fast as they can to you. And there's a lot of trust that's involved in your kickoff team, but it's an absolute adrenaline rush as long, you know, as well as the punt returns. Uh, it's something that I, I mean, I enjoy tremendously. And like I said, it's an absolute adrenaline rush every time. Nothing's the same when you go out there. No, nothing happens like how you drew it up. That's what a lot of special teams coaches uh, say. How many times when you get tackled on a kickoff return, what percentage of the time do you think it was that you were actually tackled or brought down by a guy that you never even saw, that it was a blindside tackle as opposed to a guy you saw coming and at least you might have been wincing at the time of impact? Yeah, probably maybe maybe once once a season. Uh, a lot of times you did see him coming or you saw him get off the block, and we were fortunate to have a lot of uh, guys who took pride in our special team, so I didn't get too many blindside hits. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, I mean, probably once a season, and and like I said, uh, but when when it happens, I mean, it's a huge collision, like you said, because you can't see it coming. Talk with former Giants wide receiver special teamer Dominic Hickson here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Dominic, one of the other parts of the change, just because you know you understand the technicalities of this new rule, so they say at least two players have to line up outside the numbers. This is for the kickoff team, and then you have to have five players on each side. How does the change in terms of the alignment or the limited flexibility now that teams have with respect to the alignment do you think impact the coverage aspect of this play? Well, I think that what they're trying to do, they're trying not to to stack people on top of each other. And, um, and so having the field spread out that way, you know, if the kicker kicks in the middle, you have, you know, the guys who are now outside the numbers have a longer distance to kind of run to the ball or, you know, if it's kicked left or right. So I think they're just trying to, uh, you know, distribute everyone, you know, kind of equally for they don't have players stacked on top of each other. But, you know, at the same time is that uh, you got guys that are faster and slower as well. So, I think they're doing a good job with that. But, uh, yeah, they're just trying to, you know, make sure people aren't stacked on top of each other for no, I guess, big hits would occur if you have everyone just, you know, in between the hashes. 
Dominic, as they've been making changes, and this goes even beyond special teams, I mean, with the helmet-to-helmet hits, sometimes it's difficult, and I'm sure you can provide some perspective for football players to just turn the switch when, you know, you've been programmed to go about your business a specific way, going back to, I'm sure, when you were playing football in high school. How much of a transition is this going to be for a special teams player, knowing, by the way, that coaches are limited in terms of the amount of time they have once the season starts because there's not nearly as much practice time and physicality right. in practice. Right. I mean, so you're going to have to change the habit of what you've been used to, you know, your whole career. And, uh, I mean, it's one of those things going to be trial and error, uh, you know, unfortunately. And, you know, for a guy who, you know, maybe used to making that big hit or, you know, playing that type, you know, that type at that speed, uh, he's going to have to back off a little bit. But like you said, I mean, it's a habit. It's a habit that, you know, they've created. And now, you, you know, you're asking for, you know, someone who's been doing it for the past however many years, you're telling them, hey, well, we need you to change now. And so I think that, you know, I think that's tough on a player. I really do. I hope they can eventually come to a point where they say, hey, this is what we like. This is what's working for us. You know, and it's, it's a safe, you know, safety uh, deal. But then, you know, just kind of stick with it for, you know, years to come and, uh, you know, not change it every year. Dominic, if the rules changes have opened up the field a little more and you think it's going to be better for the kick returners to, to gain more yardage on their returns, what type of physical attributes does that kickoff returner have to have? Is there going to be more of an emphasis on speed, more of an emphasis on cutting ability, more of an emphasis on a guy who sees the field well? Who, what kind of guy would you want then with these new rules in place to be your kickoff return guy? Man, I mean, I, I would want a guy who, uh, you know, speed and can see the field. But, you know, and I think you just uh, were alluding to something that now that the guys are outside the numbers, there are going to be some more natural lanes that are open. So mm-hmm. the faster your guy is that can, you know, see the field, I think the better off you're going to be. But definitely speed. I mean, and I, I even foresee that, you know, since now you can't do wedges, now you're not going to have your offense alignment, defense alignment guys back there anymore. Now you're going to be looking maybe for some more, you know, DB linebackers, you know, uh, type players because, like I said, it's going to be more of a, you know, open field and, uh, you know, natural running lane. It related to that subject in terms of the type of player that you now want to return the football, and this is related to a subject that Paul and I have gone back and forth with, Dominic, and given the fact that you are a return man, you look at the Giants right now. They got Odell Beckham. They got Saquon Barkley. They've got a lot of versatility and a lot of weapons, and we see, Dominic, the Steelers utilizing Antonio Brown as their main punt guy. As somebody that played both an offensive position and a special team position, what Mm -hmm. do you say to the philosophy that you have to protect those types of players and you can't overuse them. As opposed to saying, hey, this is my best talent. Why not give him an opportunity to return the ball as well as contribute on offense? Uh, Lance, you hit it right on the head. Don't overuse them, but I think you can use them in spots. I mean, clearly you want those two guys having the ball in their hands anytime you get that opportunity. So if we're backed up, uh, you know, if the other team is backed up, and uh, we, you know, have a return opportunity for a punt return, you know, that's when you want them to take it. You know, that's when I would, you know, have one of those guys out there because, you know, more than likely you're going to get a return. Now, if it's a plus 50 situation where, you know, they may end up downing the ball or something like that, of course, you know, not put them out there. But you definitely want those guys with the balls in their hands. But at the same time, you know, the injury portion of that, you know, do you, you know are you willing to risk? you know, them getting injured on a special teams play when you're asking so much of them on offense. You know, that's why the coaches get paid the big bucks because that's a tough decision there. <laughs> well, but you know what, Dominic? Now you're having the coaching hat on because that's of right. your work. So, so now you, you understand what it's like to make those tough decisions. And related to that, I'm, I'm just curious because, you know, we see the emphasis on safety not just on the NFL level, but that conversation, I think, has funneled down to the collegiate level and even where you are right now at the high school level. What are some of the conversations that you have with your own respective players, Dominic, in terms of protection on special teams plays and all other types of plays? How is that relatable to what's going on in the NFL? Oh, and, you know, it's carrying down. It kind of filters down whatever the NFL is doing, you know, the college level is doing, and, you know, also the high school. So, even this spring, this spring game, we didn't do special teams uh, for our spring game this year just because we didn't have enough practice at it. 
you know, and, and some people may chuckle at that, but again, it's a very, you know, full speed, you know, hitting collision type deal. And we want to make sure our kids are ready, you know, to be able to not only defend themselves, but also uh, to be safe. And so we didn't even do that this year. We said, hey, we want to take the summer and, you know, take the first part of the fall and just have specific special teams practices, you know, to make sure that, you know, our kids are ready. Well, no finer teacher uh, than yes. Dominic Hickson to, to teach the young folks uh, all about the safeties and all the different things you can do on special teams. Dominic, let me ask you if I can, uh, get off the subject for one second. Jonathan Stewart, your former Panthers teammate, is now yeah, a member of the yeah. Giants. Uh, Dave Gettleman brought him in here. He's the uh, grandpappy, if you will, of the Giants <laughs> running backs room. Uh, what, 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 kind of, what kind of guy are the Giants getting? And, and you know, obviously he's going to – one of his jobs is going to be to mentor Saquon Barkley. And the perfect guy to do it. I tell you, he has the right attitude. He brings his work ethic uh, to practice every day. Uh, he brings us lunch pail. I mean, he, he's the type of Giants player, uh, you know, during our Super Bowl runs, you know, with Brandon Jacobs and Mott Bradshaw, uh, Derek Ward. You know, he's one of those guys that you want on the team to mentor, uh, but also to play. I mean, he, he's a heck of a ball player as well. So uh, he, he's going to bring it. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad we picked him up. I said I look forward to coming up to a game this year and, and watching him and uh, uh, Saquon go ahead and, and do their thing. But that's a, that's a two-headed monster that's going to, you know, Going to make some moves this year. Two new guys. Well, and related to that, Dominic, you know, when you were there, you had D'Angelo Williams and you had Jonathan Stewart. So, I mean, Stewart is used to being part of sort of a one-two punch. How much do you think that experience is going to make it easy for him to now transition into a backfield where he also has the likes of a young guy like Saquon Barkley and even Wayne Goldman? Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those deals, you know, like you said, a one-two punch. And uh, he, he's a guy that... You know, I, I personally have never seen him complain about getting the ball or not getting the ball. And I'm sure, you know, he's a competitor. He wants the ball every play. But he's willing to share those reps for the betterment of the team. And I, that's why I think, you know, uh, uh, Gettleman brought him in because of that. You know, it's one of those deals you're not going to have the, the I want the ball issues. It's one of those deals whatever helps the team out. And uh, he, he's been in that rotation. So he's going to, I'm sure, have some uh, encouraging words for Saquon not to, you know, get discouraged or anything uh, if he's not the the main feature back in the game, and uh, he's going to be able to mentor him. And like I said, that's that's one of the, one of the best teammates I've had. Uh, you know, throughout my years of playing was uh, you know Jonathan. Excellent stuff, Dominic. Before we let you go, why don't you give your high school team a pop? Uh, give us a uh, when is your home opener? Uh, give a little pop so that the fans uh, down there in the area can come see you guys play. And if you want to give your fishing uh, boat a pop too, that's quite all right. Tell people where they can go get the go get those uh, little fishies in the water. <laughs> Absolutely, I say uh, Pensa, Pensacola uh, Christian Lighthouse down here in Pensacola. We'll get started here at the end of August. Uh, we start off with Northview, which is going to be a tough game, but I'm telling you, we're going to bring it. And also a Super Bowl fishing. We're down here. Uh, Red Snapper season starts tomorrow. Uh, we're going to be doing some bill fishing soon, a few tournaments, and uh, looking forward to it. But Pensacola Lighthouse, go Stingrays. All Very right. cool. You got a website there, Dominic? Yeah, SuperBowlFishing.com. Check us out. Excellent. Uh, give us a call. We'll, we'll be we'll be down here fishing up throughout the summer. Well, Giants fans always remember you, Dominic. You always were a pro's pro, and we appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, thanks so much, Dominic. Uh, anytime. Hey, appreciate you guys. Thank you. Go G-Man. All right. Dominic Hickson, former Giants wide receiver, special teamer, two-time Super Bowl champ, kind enough to provide some great insight. Always had a smile on his face. All the time. Despite having to go through torturous injuries, yeah, I mean, ACLs yep. that would have destroyed anybody's career. He would always smile. He would always come back, do everything. He, like I say, a pro's pro. And uh, what a great example to have in the locker room, too. I mean, it's one of the reasons why Dave Gettleman brought him down to Carolina after he was a free agent and, and, and the Giants uh, situation had ended. Gettleman brought him down to Carolina. It's like, hey, he brought Chase Blackburn down there, too. Another guy, pro's pro. In fact, Chase now is the special teams coach with the Panthers. He was an assistant. He got promoted. He's the lead guy down there now. Well, I was going to say it's no surprise that players like Chase Blackburn and Dominic Hickson are now involved in coaching because there's a reason they hung yeah. around as many years as they did, Paul, despite some of the other battles and perhaps the talent that they were competing with because of this. They had the smarts. They mm -hmm. understood the game. And I think Hickson, to me, 
is one of the most underrated wide receivers when you look at the Giants because he made plays. He just doesn't necessarily get the credit because of the other talent that was on the roster. And I think more people feel he's more synonymous with his return game and what he did on special teams. But when they needed somebody to step up, Paul, he would fill that void. I think the problem is he was so good on special teams that that's where he made his mark and that other people kind of overshadow or or kind of push aside the fact that when he was asked to be a significant part of the passing game, he stepped up and got it done. But when you're just that good on specials, especially for a Giants team, over the years they have not had a plethora of all-star return guys. I mean, let's be fair about no, it. No, 100%. And so he was truly one of the best return guys that the Giants have had in the last 40 to 50 years. And so that's where he made his mark. And I I don't think he shies away from that. No, not at all. Because, and to put that in perspective, what you just mentioned, Paul, until they signed Dwayne Harris, let's face it, I mean, the guy we would constantly bring up is Dominic Hickson in terms of when was the last time the Giants had that threat that you thought could take it to the house, take it to the distance. So now, you know, Harris came along no longer with the team, but it took a while till you had that conversation outside of Dominic Hickson. Dominic Hickson. Uh, Ron Dixon for a short time, uh, Dave Meggett certainly for a short time there under Parcells, uh, and then you know you, you go before that. I mean, yeah, you know when, when when you bring up a name like Bobby Hammond and you tell people that he was one of their better return guys or Leon Bright was one of their better return guys, you understand that it hasn't exactly been the greatest of positions for the Giants over the years. Phil McConkey got great recognition because he was tough and he always held the ball. You know, he was always good with ball security. Yeah. McConkie didn't break very many big returns, but Parcells would just tell him, hold on to the ball, be tough, hold on to the ball, just make sure we have the ball. And, and of course, the story with the Navy and everything else, everybody loved Phil McConkie, but in terms of being an explosive return guy, that he was not. Well, perhaps more players are going to become explosive because from what Dominic said, I thought it was interesting, two things that he brought up. Number one, he thinks it's going to benefit the return team, which I don't think anybody is stunned by. But, and this is why I like somebody who's been on the field from a coverage standpoint, Paul, he brought up the fact that with now the alignment a little bit wider and two guys outside the numbers and five on each side, he thinks there's going to be more lanes which to me is the most important aspect of this play. More openings, more lanes, because you're removing the wedge block. So that means the guy who's returning the football is really going to be on an island. He's going to have to maneuver without a lot of help in front of him. And if he says that there's more lanes, if you have a crafty guy returning the ball, there could be potential for some big play still. You know, I thought his thought about bringing the kickoff back to the 20 without the running start will certainly uh, institute uh, more of a return game because, let's face it, uh, I don't know a whole lot of kickers who are going to be able to get it through the end zone from their own 20-yard line. Now, maybe you're going to wind up giving up too much field position though, on every kickoff. And then the legal say, well, wait a minute, now we're, we're giving we're up giving too much. Kiss. Exactly. And, and they, I, so I don't know. Maybe it's worth trying. I, I don't know. But I asked him for a suggestion, and that's when he threw out. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. We thank Dominic Hickson once again for coming on the program. Let's now give you an opportunity to weigh in on the lines. Tony is in D.C. He gets us going on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. How we doing, Tony? Hey, gents. Thanks for taking my call. Hi. Thanks for making so, it, Tony. What do uh, you got? I've been out of the loop forever, so I know some of this might be repetitive that you guys have answered and gone over, but I want to make it quick so you guys can move on. First, I tried to call before the draft. I wanted to say that Lance's strategy of maybe the Cleveland Browns drafting Saquon first and a quarterback fourth, most people poo-pooed it. But leading up to the draft, I thought that that strategy had some teeth. And now that the draft is over, you could argue that that would have been a very viable strategy. I just wanted to make that comment. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, no, I mean, listen, I was campaigning for it, so I'm not going to now shy away from it. It didn't turn out to be what happened, but if you look at how the draft played out and where some of the quarterbacks fell, if Cleveland felt that there wasn't that much of a separation between Baker Mayfield and the rest of the crew, they could have taken Barkley one, and I still think they would have gotten a quality quarterback at four because they were still around. Suffice it to say there was a lot of relief in East Rutherford when the Browns went the other way. Indeed. Yep, yep. And my, um, so 
down here in D.C., Virginia, the fans down here are more hyped for this upcoming season coming off of three wins than they were last year coming off of 11 and a playoff first. Believe it or not, we are going nuts down here. So here's my question to you, to you guys. Yes. Gettleman has only been here for five months. Can you think of a time a GM did this much in five months? I mean, that's just incredible. <laughs> now, he still, has to get, he still has to get OBJ on, you know, situated. But he's just done an incredible job. Can you think of anyone that has done more in five months? Like, in all seriousness. There's been a dramatic turnaround here in, in the makeup of this team. I, I can honestly tell you, I, I, I remember, look, I started in 83 when Porcells was a rookie head coach. And between the 83 and 84 seasons, they drastically changed the makeup of, of that team. Um, but you're going back now a long time. I mean, I'm doing this 36 years, and that's a long time in anybody's book. So to be fair... Uh, I think any time you have a new regime, you know, when you went from uh, from Ray Handley, remember he succeeded Parcells, but it was still basically the same team. When you went from, from Ray and then to, to Dan Reeves, things kind of changed over the course of a year or so. Then you went from Dan, you went to Jim Fossil, and then there was another kind of change and shift. So you're going to have – with a new head coach, a certain amount of, of change. How significant? Sometimes a little more than others. But, yes, I would say this is one of the more significant changes, to be fair. Okay, and my last group of questions. Last group, and I'll let you guys go. So, for this to be a successful season, in, your, in you two gentlemen's opinion, what do you think of these four things? What would the win-loss have to be? What would the ranking of the total offense and total defense have to be? And what do you think Eli Manning's performance has to be? And the reason why I single out Eli is because in our two Super Bowl runs, he was the best player on the field both of those Super Bowl runs. Does he have to be that for him to, you know, be successful in the postseason? I'll take that offline. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, Tony. Appreciate right. the phone call. You want to go first? Well, I mean, I think we can go back and forth on – the same subject. In terms of the record, what the record needs to be for the season to be a success. See, I don't look at season to season as a measure of what success is. What, what I mean by that is 17 and 18 to me are on separate islands, Paul, because of the way that NFL rosters change and how you're not always bringing back the same team. You've changed the coaching staff. So I it would be, to me, small-minded to say, well, they only won three games in 17, so if they could get to six or seven, that automatically makes 18 a success. I just, I don't look at it that way. I think if you want to look at this season as a success, you get a winning record and you make the playoffs. It's as simple as that. I don't look at it as baby steps. You get to six, and that's really a step in the right direction because I don't look at 17 to 18 in the same bubble considering there have been so many changes to this we roster. We are in complete agreement. John Mara simply said, I expect the Giants to be yeah. a good team this year. Well, good, good means at least nine wins. Yeah, right? I'm with it. You got a, a winning record. Eight and eight is 500. That's technically mediocre. So if he expects the team to be good, then I think nine and seven at the very minimum with a playoff appearance, that's considered a success. I think every franchise in the National Football League believes that making the postseason is a successful season. Now, how successful? If you're the Patriots, that's a minor success. Yeah. <laughs> you expect to go a lot further than the that. The expectations are a little But different. I think everybody else would define success as just being able to play in January. As far as the rankings for the offense and the defense, well, I mean, if you look at where the defense finished, the defense has to make humongous strides. Because I think you can make the playoffs, Paul, if you finish even, like, between 12 and 15 in each category, mm -hmm. I think that's doable. I, yes. I don't think that's a stretch. Are you, are you with me there? I'm with you. Okay, but we're talking about a defense that was way down on the ranking. So you're talking about you got to make up almost half the league. That's how significant of a jump we're talking about if you at least want to make a comparison to where they finished in 17. They did that two years ago. They did. Correct. When, when they, they were made those, right at the bottom and that all of a sudden. brought in a lot of free agents and so They forth. came yeah. right up. So I, I think it I don't be think, done. I don't think it's a stretch, correct? Because that's my point about seventeen and eighteen should not be considered on the same wavelength. So to me, twelve to fifteen is where you're looking for the offense and the defense to finish to say, hey, you know what? 
that was a good year. That was a solid year. And I agree. Significant accomplishment, significant stride. We're on the same page. How about the last one? Okay, in terms of Eli Manning's season, well, you know, what I would have liked to ask Tony, and maybe, Tony, if you're on Twitter, you can follow up. What are we talking about? Are we talking Eli Manning from a statistical standpoint, Paul? You can't. Or are we that, talking about Eli Manning? Statistics well, are fantasy football numbers. Well, but a lot of people look at it through that lens. I don't that's care why. what they're looking at. The, the, the man so, asked us the okay, question, so we're not, what is an Eli Manning successful season? Right, so then I guess my point is then I don't need to look at Eli Eli Manning as he has to get 30 touchdown passes for it to be a successful Correct. season. Or he has to We're get not talking numbers 10 here. interceptions. We're not talking about necessarily total cumulative numbers. What we're talking about is a... Two and a half to one or three to one touchdown interception ratio. Okay, that's fair. If that's a fair number. That, yeah. Okay. I'm with you Completion there. percentage of 65%. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, to, to, to say he needs 30 touchdowns no, or, or 4,500 yards, that's irrelevant. Well, because the whole point is you're expecting the running game to Darn move straight. up. So, therefore, if you're arguing Eli's got to get 35 touchdowns and he got to throw for 4,500 yards, then you're probably not having that great of a running game. Let's and, face it. And that's counterproductive. So, I think if Eli gets to what you're talking about in terms of ratio, in terms of completion percentage, and, you know, the name of the game is consistency, Paul. Mm-hmm. If Eli goes out there every game and the decision-making is where it needs to be, and, and you know, I would also like to see – a little bit more of the deep ball being incorporated this year in terms of consistently. From what we've seen at OTAs, you will see more of that. Well, if that translates to the regular season, that's a positive. Meaning not all of these dump-offs and then you're expecting Odell Beckham to run 45 Although yards after the I play. Although I think Barkley's going to do his share well, of those. No, I think he can, but I, I guess what I'm looking at is there were seasons, Paul, where well, that it was, was everything. hey, Odell, we're just going to lean on him, and he's going to weave in and out of traffic because they're going to bring the safety up, and there's no way that right. they can right. make up for that down the field. What I'm saying is you send Odell down the field, you still send Sterling down the field, you send maybe Cody Latimer down the field, and you know there's a big play, one or two every single game. Let me just say this. you know, If you look at Eli's Super Bowl seasons and even Phil Simms's Super Bowl season when the Giants beat Denver in Super Bowl 21. You look at the season stats for those individuals in those specific years, those were not career years stat-wise. Well, but 11 was outstanding for Eli Manning, Paul. Manning was unreal that season because it was one comeback after another. So he did show the stats that year. Pure stats? If you look at his pure stat line? Yeah. It was not his best season. Well, in terms of every single category. That's what I'm talking but, but about. Overall, That's why I don't go for the fantasy football stuff. And, and, and I, I get And that. I want to make it clear. Phil Simms had a phenomenal 1986 season and a phenomenal postseason and an even super-duper phenomenal Hall of Fame caliber Super Bowl. But his actual stats across the board that year would make a fantasy football owner sick to their stomach. Because they weren't very good, which is why I don't deal with fantasy football. Because that's not what gets you Lombardi trophies. No, and you're, you're right. If you look at it from individual categories, career perspective, 2011, the season that I'm talking about. It was a very about, good year, very but it was year. not his career statistical The only best. thing that Manning set a career high in was passing yards. He had nearly 5,000 right. passing yards that season, but that's what happens when you're playing catch-up And they had the worst game. running game in the league. Correct, and it was just basically heave it down the field. It was an aberration. Hope. Yeah, That usually exactly. does not happen. There and wasn't a lot of balance in that offense. You usually got to have some more balance. Every once in a while, you get one of those years where the quarterback's arm can can do it, but it's rare. He had a 61 percentage in terms of his completion percentage, and then at that time, that was his third highest of his career because he actually had a higher completion mm-hmm. percentage each of the previous two years. Mm-hmm. And then since Ben McAdoo came along, Eli has – gone to 63 or higher two times. Yep. So he even shattered the career highs that he had under the old regime. Passing yards, we mentioned, was a career high. In terms of touchdowns, he had 30 in 2014 and 35 in 2015. So those are two seasons that he surpassed the 29. Yep. And then in 2010, Paul, he had 31. So he had two more than he had in 2011. And you don't even want to look at 2007 because those numbers are not even close to being career highs on any level. Yeah. So... In answer to your question, Eli Manning just has to play Eli Manning football. He's got to play like he still has good years left, and he's got to play playoff caliber football. 
to, to cite stats would be foolish because that's that's what fantasy football people do, and that does not help you win the championship. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three hashtag Giants chat. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks for tuning in to the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Shreyas is in Massachusetts. Shreyas, what's happening? Hey, what, what's up, guys? Hi, how what's we doing? Up, uh, what's up, John? What's up, Paul? You well, guys it's, are awesome. it's Lance. It's not it's John. Amazing, John is on hiatus right with, now. Uh, uh, Dominic Hickson, that was, that was a great listen. Thank uh, you. I want to chime in to what you guys were talking about, and I want to start off with the special teams to revamp. Because you just said, I think a little bit ago, you said, uh, John, I think you said, well, it's, you it's Lance. Shreyas, Shreyas, you're of, killing uh, me. Shreyas, you're killing me. You called me John two times. That's one of the worst insults anybody oh, could ever call me. I am me. so sorry, I mean, you're, you're killing me. <laughs> of, of all the names, I mean, I'd rather be called Jeff and Paul than John. Shreyas. Oh, my goodness. Jeez, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Lance. Go ahead. You're killing me. Well, I'm sorry. I, I'm too busy laughing. I didn't hear your question. <laughs> Go ahead. We're only, we're only giving you a hard time. What do you got? Yeah, yeah and, I, and I think it was a great point. But uh, Lance, you said that you have to make half a league worth of uh, worth of a league, meaning like sixteen teams. You have to leap over sixteen teams to get into the top twelve in uh, in terms of special teams. And I think we did work that might have allowed us to go there. First of all, we revamped our special teams unit completely. We Got a new coach, uh, Thomas uh, McGow, I can't pronounce it. Uh, and then we got Riley Dixon, new punter, Michael Thomas, special teams ace, Russell Shepard, Curtis Riley, BWF, Teddy Williams, Jonathan Stewart. And on top of that, you have freaking Dominic Hickson helping everybody. So, I mean, it's not completely uh, unfathomable that they make a tremendous leap this year. Is my point. Well, in fairness, we, we didn't bring up special teams. I'm glad you brought that up. We, Paul and I were talking more about the leap that the offense and the defense right. have to make in terms of oh, getting okay. into the 12 to 15 range. But I'm we glad you brought it up, special teams, because though. we should not fair. ignore them. No, we shouldn't. So I, I agree with you, though, Sharice. I think the team does need to also make a leap in the special mm-hmm. teams Huge department. leap. That goes without Especially saying. in the consistency department. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, the, the idea there for me was that when you have, like, when you're on par with certain teams in terms of offense and defense, and I think they, the guys can leap up to average, at least at offense and defense. I think that personally, uh, it's untested, but I mean, I, I think that we can leap up to a lot around league average. And when you get to that point, the thing that determines whether you make the playoffs or not is special teams. If you have elite special teams, you're very efficient with your special team. And uh, this is one stat from, uh, I think, Football Outsiders, had the Giants as the least, the single most least, uh, uh, I mean, was it, single least efficient team in the entire league last year. And that counted offensive mishaps, defensive mishaps, special teams mishaps. There were a lot of mistakes, let's just put it that way. And I think we're going to reduce that stuff when we have good coaches uh, we, we got an entire new coaching uh, regime, which I'm really happy about. And you guys really did a good job of elaborating on everything there. And the special teams, I think we're going to improve so much that we can become a borderline, like, 9-7 and seven team, I think. That's my prediction for this year, 9-7. and seven. I don't think we can go any higher. I don't think... I don't think we're going to be three and thirteen, but I think we might be able to get to nine to seven, nine and seven, and I'm hopeful of that. All right, Trace, appreciate the phone call. Thank well, you. All right, nine Thank and you. seven, you got it. Is what Paul and I were talking about in terms of being a successful season, meaning you got a winning record, and you look at 2018 on its own. Now, in order to get to nine and seven, I think once again, consistency is the name of the game. You know, you're going to need to see balance too on offense between the run game as well as the pass game. And, you know, if you want to break down the defense a little bit more, Paul, and I brought this up on yesterday's show, you know, everybody is busy talking about where are the sacks going to come from with JPP gone, who led the team in sacks. Stopping the run was a huge issue for this team last season. I mean, that's where they got to make a name for themselves this year. Well, I think with the addition of Alec Ogletree, and now they're going to a 3-4, which, of course, conventional wisdom says, even though it's going to be a fluid 3-4, and they will be in a lot of sub-package formations, conventional wisdom is that that is more of a run-stopping defense. 
Um, I, I will say this. I think that James Betcher's scheme in Arizona, and I know that there are different players. Don't don't misinterpret what I'm about to say because I don't want to make him out to be Houdini. Okay, I don't want to do that. He's not reinventing the wheel, all right? But you look at what he did with the Cardinals. In the last three years, they were a top 10 in each of the last three years in overall defense. And they weren't necessarily the highest-ranking sack team to do it. For example, last year, they didn't even have 40 sacks as a team. And I've always said, to in my framework, I've always said you want to get about 42 sacks in a season to be in the top 10, top third of the NFL in sacks. If you want to just focus in on that one number for pass rushing purposes, that's a good number to have, and it's a good bet you're going to have a playoff caliber defense. Now, of course, that doesn't talk about your run-stopping ability. So Yeah, because you could have a lot of sacks but right, not be able to stop right. the run. So it's got to be in conjunction with that. But that is certainly a key stat, and everyone's talking about, as you said, the lack of sacks on this team, at least proven sacks, because JPP is gone. Um, last year, Cardinals didn't come up to 40 sacks. Now, Chandler Jones had about 15 or 16. Yeah, I think he had 17, actually. He led the NFL last okay. year, Chandler Jones. But yet... Yeah. The drop-off after that was significant on that Cardinals defense because they had, what, 37 as a team? 30, well, I'm, I'm looking that up right now. Yeah, 32? Let me, let me look up uh, their sack what the total. Cardinals And then total. I'm also curious where the Cardinals finished in terms of stopping the run. Okay. That, to me, would be a good one. All right, so the Arizona Cardinals last season had they did not have 37. They were 37. tied for 17th in the NFL. Okay. Now, when you which look is at, Which is in the middle right there. 17 is, is right up there close yeah, to the middle. Yeah, right below the midpoint okay. in terms of their total. But, but, you know, again, my standard number, I, I think you want to get 42. That's the number that I like to look for. But they got 37, so they fell short of that mark, yet they were a top-10 defense, and they did it with only one guy being dominant. So Betcher has found a way somehow with his scheme to not necessarily be a heavy sack team, but yet still be effective. Well, what I'm going to add to that, though, is see the Cardinals finish sixth in the NFL against the run. So, you know what? You can afford. You said 42 is your number, Paul. I'll take 37 if I could be top six in the NFL. And how many yards run. a carry was that? They allowed a per carry. Well, total yards per game was, to- I want was total- below 90, I want which is carry. impressive, though. You want per carry? Let's see. Per carry. Average yardage per carry. They allowed. Per game can be deceiving because I, I teams get that. may you be out of their game. running game right, well, and they may just throw it. Per carry, 3.5, which was. That's t- a nice number. Number three overall in That's the NFL. That's a nice number. So good overall per game and per carry. Yeah. They always say you want to try to run the ball four yards a carry and you want to stop the other team to less than four yards a carry. 3.5 is a really nice number. So that, to me, was far more influential than the 37 sacks, I would argue. And remember, okay. of the 37 sacks, you know Chandler Jones has about 17. So then the question is, and we've heard James Betcher talk about this in terms of the comparison when he spoke to the media for the first time, can Olivier Vernon Paul beat Chandler Jones in this defense? Can he get to that He will assume that level? role. Now, will he come up with 17 sacks? I don't know the answer to that. He's had 11 as his career high. In fact, that's the only time he has eclipsed double digits Just once in his career. with the Dolphins. So I don't know if asking 17 from him is too much. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I'd like to think at the very minimum he's going to get 13 or 14. I'd like to believe that. Which would be a career high. That would be terrific. That would be terrific. I think he's got all the world of ability, and he's got a tremendous attitude and a terrific motor. And I, I think he's a heck of a player. I'll tell you this. Olivier Vernon, every year, I, I know certainly the two years with the Giants, and I believe even the previous year with the Dolphins, the last three years in the league, he has been on a per-game basis in the like top five of the NFL in quarterback pressures and hits combined. So we know he can get into the backfield. Now, the problem is he doesn't necessarily have registered the sack totals, but the hits and pressures tell you he is a very effective pass rusher. Well, and health is obviously a big key because last year he was not 100%, and he missed games for the first time in his career. Now, I'm not questioning his durability, but you get him for all 16 games again, which has been a consistent trend even in his first season with the Giants at 16. You know, that's going to bode well 
for his production. But, you know, I think it all comes down to, Paul, regardless of Vernon's numbers, what are the guys around Vernon doing? And how much are they contributing to the opportunities that he may get, whether it be one-on-one opportunities or him coming off the blitz? You know, that's going to dictate Vernon's production this season. I want to throw out something to you folks. I don't know if we've ever actually talked about this before, but after Chandler Jones had his 17. Oh, so he did have 17. Okay. The next highest Cardinals sack total came from Olsen Pierre, okay, defensive lineman slash linebacker. Again, fluid in the scheme. He had five and a half. That's a humongous disparity. And the third most sacks on the team, oh, man, Hassan Reddick. Remember when he was coming out of school? Everybody was talking First about player out of Temple. He, all right. Yeah. He had two and a half. I mean, you're talking about That's the drop-off is nuts. That's it. Yeah. See, if you're the Giants, you want much better balance with respect to that. You'd like to, now, so. Just you out know. of curiosity, I didn't mean to cut you off. What was the game difference in terms of, you know, sometimes was there a drop-off because guys missed a lot of games on that defense? Uh, Chandler Jones started 16. Pierre okay. started 7 but played in 14. Okay. Reddick started only three, but played in all 16. All right, so he didn't miss a game, Reddick. Okay. So you see the top three sack guys go from 17 to 5.5 to 2.5. Folks, let me ask you this. For those of you worried about the Giants' individual sack totals, do you think there is another guy on this team beyond Olivier Vernon who can give you a half a dozen sacks? And do you think that there are more than two or three guys on this team that can give you more than two and a half? Answer that question for yourselves and then discuss what you think Betcher is going to do to impact this defense and how he is going to try to generate a pass rush. Those numbers, to me, that's not a really high bar to eclipse. Just as a means of comparison, because I think that's really interesting. I didn't even notice that when I was looking at the numbers carefully when Petra was hired. 2016. Let's go back two years. Just okay. as a means, because that, that's unique to me, Paul, where you have 17 and then five and a half. It's pretty wild. That's nuts. Okay. 2016. Marcus Golden, their linebacker, 12 and a half. He led the team. Chandler Jones, 11. Calais Campbell, who's now with the Jacksonville Jaguars, 8. Much better balance yes. if you go back two years. Then there was a drop-off, in fairness. Kevin Minter, the linebacker, had three-and-a-half, along with Alex Okafor, who had three-and-a-half. Here's what's interesting, and I guess this is more because of the 3-4. You're seeing a lot of the linebackers do a lot of the damage in terms of the sacks, as opposed to some of the defensive ends on the because front of the line. Because of his fluid scheme. Yeah. The DNs are sometimes linebackers. The linebackers are sometimes DNs. They're stand-up defensive ends instead of truly linebackers. You Don't even label these guys, okay? It just doesn't make sense because they're so fluid all the time. Hybrid. That's the best way to go. All right, yeah. let's head back to the phone well, lines. I call them fluid more than I do hybrid. I, I, I want to throw yeah. this out before you go. 2015, he was also the defensive coordinator of the Cardinals. And that year, Dwight Freeney led the team with eight sacks, Calais Campbell had five, and Marcus Golden had four. So the sack totals were even lower in terms of the top guys. Okay, but yet, yet, that defense was seventh in the NFL in points allowed. Uh, And uh, let's see, defense in yardage, they were the fifth best in defense. And what, what kind of sack totals are we talking about? Very, very poultry numbers. So other components of the defense help make up for it. And I'm looking at 2016, number nine against the run. Okay, so once again, top 10 rushing defense the Arizona Cardinals had. And then 2015. Sixth against the run, uh, 3.9 yards a carry. So there you go. You do that, then the sacks. Doesn't mean they're not important, but it's not necessarily dictating the tone of your defense and how successful it is. Mark is in Chicago. Mark, what's happening? Hey, guys, good show. I really enjoyed that conversation with Dominic Hickson. Thank you. Um, I don't know if we'll ever get to the point where we kick off at the 20-yard line because that will result in more returns, and I think the league wants to have fewer returns, but it certainly would make uh, field a change in field position exciting. Um, I think bef- that they should keep the kickoff as best they can forever. I mean, it's just such a an exciting play. Um, it can lend into your strategy. 
change in field position, the onside kick to promote comebacks. I think before you ever get to that point, I'd like to propose that they maybe give it the option of the kicking team to either kick off or give the ball to the opponent at whatever you think, the 25, the 20, or maybe even the 30-yard line. That way you keep in the element of the onside kick. Maybe when you're in foul weather, you know, the ball is cold, wet, windy. You know, that ball does some crazy stuff. You know, you could definitely do some crazy things uh, in those types of positions, and I hate to see that element of surprise and strategy leave the game. So I was wondering what you think about that option of the option of the kicking team either kicking off or um, giving it, you know, a touchback at the 20, 25, or 30. Well, I think for there to be a little bit more incentive, Mark, I would say give it to them at the 30 because right now if it's at the 25 versus a touchback, I'd say now you're going to give the team an additional five yards. So you've got to add a little mm-hmm. bit more risk. I like the idea about, mm-hmm. hey, we either kick it off and we take the risk of a big return because of the new rules or we say, you know what, start at the 30. We have confidence in our defense. That's the only tweak that I would yeah. make. You see, Marvin, Coach Marvin, and I know you, you're aware of him. He's one of our regular callers and viewers. Mm-hmm. He had this idea the other day that said, allow each coach a, uh, an opportunity to do an onside kick once per half if, if they mm-hmm. wanted to do that and they were behind and wanted to have the opportunity to get the ball back because that's one of the dangers of losing the, uh, the, the kickoff is that the onside kick mm-hmm. becomes obsolete and now if you're two scores behind, how are you supposed to catch up? Right. You know, so that's another twist. Yeah, yeah. I'd say probably what I would think maybe eighty percent of the time a kickoff results in a touchback. Wouldn't you say that's about right? I so don't have the numbers. Somebody has the option to say I'll just automatically give you the touchback. You know, I'm fine with that. That's my strategy anyway. You know, just give them the ball to twenty, twenty-five, or thirty. So, but I have a question about OTAs. Um, I don't. I don't know what you can glean from the sets that are being run in practice right now. Uh, what's your sense? Uh, you talked the other day about using two tight ends. What's your sense of how we might use Jarrell Adams uh, this year? I think the guy, when he catches the ball in space, he has tremendous yards you know, after catch. you just got to get it to him in the right position, and he's a load to bring down. Um, I don't think Ben McAdoo really used him that way last year. He, he started to do it when he was a rookie. Um, but I'd like to see him get the ball more out in space other than just being a blocker, which he was used for because their line was so poor. And then the other question is, um, what have you seen out of you know, the use of a fullback? You know, Shane Smith, he's listed as a tight end. Do you think that Shermer and Shula might use a fullback you know, more often than Ben did? When, and I believe Ben McAdoo didn't even want to have a fullback. So. Uh, listen, your answer off the air. Thanks. You got it, Thank Mark. you. Both good questions. In terms of the fullback, remember, he had Red Ellison in Minnesota. I think Red Ellison could play the fullback if they don't necessarily want to keep a Shane Smith who is just going to be a fullback. As far as Jarrell Adams, I mean, listen, I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves because we haven't seen training camp, but is Jarrell Adams even a lock to make this team? Uh, I think he's one of those guys who's going to have to earn his yeah. keep only because there were very few fellas on a three-win team that have a cemented roster spot. So that's my to response. Be fair. Yeah, so that's my response to Mark because, I mean, if you just want to look through the roster, Kyle Carter and Rhett Ellison both were on Minnesota. That doesn't mean that they have a lot to make the roster, but Pat Shermer, the, the reason why he brought in Kyle Carter, I'm sure, is because he liked what he did in Minnesota. Ellison was already here. Okay, so that was a nice convenience. You also have Ryan O'Malley in the mix, and you have Evan Ingram. They're not keeping five tight ends. We don't even know if they're keeping four. So, Jarrell Adams, I mean, this is a statement offseason for him. As far as his upside, yeah, when he's caught the ball, I, I think that he certainly has the ability to get out in open space, but I also think the Giants are still evaluating what he could do as a blocker because that was not something that he was asked to do an awful lot when he was at South Carolina. So that, to me, is something to watch. It's going to be an interesting competition at that position, I will tell you that. I'm looking for the uh, average percentage of kickoff touchbacks in the league last year, and I don't have the entire league average, but Carolina was number one. Obviously, Graham Gano, who has a cannon of a leg, 85.4% touchbacks on his kickoffs they were number one by far San Francisco at 77 Oakland 75 the Rams 73 Kansas City 71 the middle team 
which would be a 16. Atlanta was at 54%. Giants were 28th at 41.9%. Last was Tampa Bay at 35%. So even if you go to the middle of the pack, Atlanta at 54, well, that's just about half. Uh, which is kind of ironic in that that's halfway through the list, and yeah. it's about halfway. Well, here's some interesting data I have. This is from just a random article, SBNation.com. 2016, okay. the NFL moved touchbacks up five yards from the 20 to the 25-yard line. So since then, there have been fewer returns since, ta- since changing the touchback to the 25, a total of 1,081 during the regular season in 2015 compared to 1,036 the previous season. Just to give you a barometer of the numbers. So 33.8 per team in 2015, 32.4 per team last season. And this article was written in 2018. So it was comparing 2017 to 2015. Not a lot of difference. Just as a means of comparison. You know, for those who, uh, and rightfully so, emphasize safety, those numbers are not really very significant. All right, let's head back to the lines. Dave's in Cranford. Dave, what's happening? Last call, Dave. Go ahead. Hey, how are you guys? Hey, great. I, I just wanted to hit on two things. You guys are the best. Uh, it's just a joy Thank to listen you. to you well, guys because you really know football. Appreciate that. Um, and I know Lance, it's Lance, and, and uh, you, you got hair, and, and John doesn't. So, oh, there you go. See, oh. that's a step in the right direction. I like that. That's right. Um, Dave, we'll Paul, give you an extra few seconds I wanted seconds to hit on something you said uh, about Eli. Yeah. And I think um, about stats and how misleading they can be. I think one of Eli's biggest impacts this year is going to be in the run game. And I, and I think that that gets often – misunderstood about how many times he's going to put them into the right play, whether it be pass or run. And I think that's where this offense has a chance to be explosive is the cat and mouse game that Eli with Saquon, you know, back there, the weapons on the outside and his ability to manipulate, you know, the middle linebacker and or the safety in the box and to put them in the most favorable run situation. I think that's where he's going to have a big impact. And if, and if, the challenge for this team is Eli. I'll sign up and take that right now. Yeah, I'm with you a thousand percent, and I can't tell you how many coaches and personnel people and NFL folks who know and have many more years even in this game than I do have consistently said to me they marvel at how often Eli Manning puts this offense in the best chance to succeed. Now, they may not execute it well, you know, maybe there's a bad route. Maybe there's a busted block. Maybe he makes a bad throw even. Or maybe there's a drop pass. The offense may not be as efficient as it needs to be because they don't produce correctly or execute correctly. But everybody I know and respect who has a lot of football knowledge in their memory banks, they all tell me they marvel at how many times Eli Manning puts his team in the best position. He does so many wonderful things at the line, so many recognition-type things. Uh, So many times he's making the right call, he's making the right audible, he's getting them out of a play that is doomed to fail, and and you make a great point. And that's that's part of the value of Eli Manning, that you know what? The fan on the street or at home or in the seats doesn't know, can't see. The fantasy football guy has no chance in heck of ever finding that out, nor does he yep. care. Well, it doesn't help him. So nor does he, he doesn't care. care. Exactly. Okay, which is why I tell you all the time, I deal with real football, not fantasy yep. football. And the last thing is on the sack totals. I'll leave you with this. I, I think the second, I think OV will lead the team in sacks. I don't think that's a stretch. I think the second place is going to be the impact of Snacks Harrison on this defense, meaning his ability to command a double team. You, the next two guys on our sack totals are going to be the two middle linebackers playing off of Snacks Harrison, going directly to the quarterback, the fastest line to him. So I think you're going to go OV, those two middle linebackers, Landon Collins. Those are going to be your four leaders in sacks, and then we got to find two other guys on the other end. Interesting you mentioned that because one of Betcher's uh, preferred blitzes is to send backers and or defensive backs through the A-gap. And that, that will lend itself to some of what you're talking about. Couldn't agree more. You guys have a great day. Thank you. All right, Dave. Appreciate the phone call. And I'll tell you why that will also be interesting. Now, I know Alec Ogletree's coming from a completely different system, but you know he was in a system with Wade Phillips, who I personally think is a very good defensive coordinator. Ogletree, because he was referring to the middle linebackers, Paul, 
he has had no more than two sacks in a single season. So if, if they do get that done through the gaps that we're talking about, that would be a career year for Alec Ogletree. The two reasons Ogletree was traded from the Rams, and then we'll let you go, folks, because I know we're running out of time. Ogletree was a salary cap casualty to some degree, and then the other thing is he did not fit their scheme yep. as well. He is not what is known um, as a um, as a uh, a plugger at linebacker. He is much more of a run and hit, or what's known as a chase and hit linebacker. He's a linebacker that will play at his best when he's got freedom to run sideline to sideline and then track down the ball. He is less effective when he does not have big guys in front who can keep guys off him because he is more of an athletic-type linebacker who's like a heat-seeking missile, and he'll track stuff down. That's how he makes plays. If, if He's not Harry Carson. Okay, Harry Carson was more of a plugging linebacker who's going to attack, he's going to get to the line, he's going to take guys on nose-to-nose, and he's going to do his darndest to plug up holes. Ogletree is more of a roaming type of linebacker. He did not fit the Rams' scheme as well, and that's the other reason why they were willing to move him. He will fit what the Giants want to do because they've got guys like Tomlinson, guys like Snacks Harrison, who can do the dirtier work in front of him and keep him clean to make plays. And even, I think, B.J. Goodson, I think, is totally fine with taking on some physicality at the line. He loves it. You heard him the other day? The other day, he was (laughs) very excited. He's like, I want to do the dirty work. I want to hit those big guys. That's a perfect compliment to Alec Ogletree. Yes, absolutely. Uh, It's going to wrap things up. Want to thank Dominic Hickson again. Some great insight. If you missed the entire interview, we'll put it back on the archive on the full show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Big Blue Kickoff Live back up and running tomorrow at noon Eastern as we continue to get you caught up with all the latest Giants news. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Have a good one.